Welcome to the Budget and Policy Committee of Denver City Council. This session of the Budget and Policy Committee begins now. Good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to the Budget and Policy Committee of Denver City Council. I'm Councilwoman Jamie Torres. I'm proud to be uh, an honor to be council president of this council. I represent West Denver District 3, and Budget and Policy is our committee where we hear um, key updates from city departments. We also get preview into policy um, that either colleagues or departments are proposing. Um, today is a, a briefing and update from National Western uh, Authority. So thank you all for being here. And before we turn it over to you, let's do introductions. Do we have anyone online? Okay, so we will start with introductions in the chamber. I'll start to my left. Uh, good afternoon, Diana Romero-Campbell, Southeast Denver, District 4. Hi, everyone. Serena Gonzalez-Gutierrez, uh, one of your at-large representatives. Good morning, Flora Libres, Lucky District 7. And good afternoon, Paul Cashman, South Denver, District 6. Good afternoon, Amanda Sawyer, District 5. Hi, folks. Sarah Parody, I also represent the city at-large. Chris Hines, Denver's Perfect 10. Thank you so much. And um, now we're, let's turn it over. We've got um, uh, both uh, Michael Bouchard and Brad Buchanan joining us from National Western. Um, thank you, and we'll get started on the presentation. Can you hear me all right? Yes. Uh, I'm Mike Bouchard. I'm the executive director for the mayor's office of the National Western Center. And hello, and happy 2024. Uh, it's actually been just over a year since we've been before the Budget and Policy Committee. Uh, so we're looking back to getting on a regular cadence uh, with you all to give you the regular updates um, that we like to provide. So, um, as I said, I'm the executive director of the mayor's office. I'm joined here today uh, by Brad Buchanan, who is the CEO of the National Western Center Authority. And Brad, as you're going through those slides, um, we had some difficulty with Legistar loading up this PowerPoint. So it's just been e emailed out to council members. So you should find that in your email box. Thank you. So in terms of our agenda today, um, we are going to include updates both from the mayor's office and from the authority. And since this is our first time in front of a largely new council, we want to take a few moments to provide a little bit of history on the program uh, and walk you through sort of how we got to where we are today. Um, I will also give updates on phases one and two, a little bit on our outreach and engagement and a look ahead at what's coming in 2024. And then Brad will review um, the year 2023 and forecast for 2024 from the authorities' perspective. So first and foremost, the partnerships that we have um, are what have been so critical to our success. And so the four groups listed here, um, the two, first two uh, I just went through. So we are the mayor's office. We were created by executive order to plan, design, and construct phases one and two of the new National Western Center campus. The National Western Center Authority, uh, Brad and his team, are responsible for programming, operating, and maintaining uh, those new assets for the next 100 years. So as we can fin uh, complete construction, we hand over these facilities to Brad and his team, who then uh, take them and run with them. We build it, they book it. Um, in addition, we have the National Western uh, Stock Show Association, or the Western Stock Show Association, pardon me, um, who, as, uh, say, as it states in the name, puts on the 
stock show uh, annually, as well as a series of other events throughout the year. And then CSU and their SPUR campus uh, is the fourth of our founding framework agreement members. And in terms of milestones and a little bit of a history lesson, um, we've been at this for well over a decade now. Um, and it started way back in 2012 when then Mayor Hancock committed to keeping the stock show in Denver uh, when they were looking to go elsewhere. Uh, the only way that was gonna be possible, however, was to reinvent uh, the 250-acre National Western Center campus as a year-round active, connected campus um, that can host the stock show for 16 days in January, but then also be programmed uh, and dynamic throughout the rest of the 50 weeks of the year. So that's the vision uh, largely behind uh, the efforts that we've been engaged in since 2012. A couple other things to note, in 2015, the master plan was completed. Um, and I'll talk more about that here in a minute. Uh, also key in 2015 uh, was the ballot measure that was overwhelmingly approved by Denver voters uh, to secure 2C funding um, to pay for phases one and two. And then just the last milestone of note here in 2018, uh, both the authority, board of directors and CEO were established and we began construction. And so we have been going uh, and been busy ever since. So um, you heard me use the phrase phases one and two uh, several times now, and I wanna take a minute to explain that a little bit. The full build out of the master plan uh, actually encompasses eight different phases. However, with the 2015 uh, ballot measure, the dollars that were allocated um, were allocated towards phases one and two. And that's what's shown here largely in color on the west side of the railroad tracks uh, between those railroad tracks and the river. And the key point in why phases one and two are so important is by building out these facilities, uh, it will allow us to move the stock shows operations from the two gray buildings on the lower right, it's on the other side of the tracks, that they currently use today. Those uses will move over into the new facilities that we're building, thereby unlocking the triangle for future redevelopment. So that's why phases one and two are so important, is because it allows us to unlock the triangle and that those are the future phases um, that will be uh, determined here in the next few years what the path um, and strategy is to get those fully built out. Uh, one note is that of the elements in phases one and two, uh, the big blue box labeled number 10 is the equestrian center. That was officially deferred from our phase one and two scope and is now being procured uh, by the authority and Brad will speak about that a little more later. Okay, in terms of our capital stack, so the funding that we have for phases one and two totals uh, around 795 million. And as you can see, the, the vast majority of that comes from the voter approved ballot measure at 688 million. In addition, uh, there's 23 million from Colorado State University and 50 million from the Western Stock Show Association. And then some additional grant dollars, both from the state, Colorado Department of Agriculture, and Metro Water Recovery for the Delgany relocation. And then we like to show uh, lots of pictures. Um, so just a quick view back at some of the historical construction pictures. This goes all the way back to December of 2020. And you can see that uh, there's not all that much going on. Towards the left side, 
you can see the groundwork uh, for what will become CSU Spur Campus. Um, you can still see rail lines going up through the middle of the site. Uh, that white box on the uh, sort of middle bottom right is a Stockyard Events Center uh, under construction, but not yet open. And then if we jump ahead a year, so December 2021, you can see uh, the area around the Stockyard Events Center largely built out. We are just completing that at this point and getting ready to open it for Stock Show 22, uh, about a month from when this photo was taken. You can also see the great progress uh, that's happened uh, at the CSU Spur campus and a lot of other campus development, uh, roadway networks, et cetera, that have taken place. Jumping to 22, you can see the riverfront open space starting to take shape along the river. Uh, CSU's Spur campus is largely built out and we are just getting ready to break ground in the Livestock Center, which you can see here, the most current photo uh, from just about two months ago. And you can see the Livestock Center well underway. Um, you can see all the pens actually set up for Stock Show 24, which just happened, um, and a lot of the other campus improvements that we've completed. Okay, so we've done a lot. Um, and I won't walk through, this is actually a layered diagram of all the different elements uh, that we have completed over time. Um, and it's a lot going on uh, because we've done a lot of work. We've touched every square foot out here. Uh, we've moved rail lines, we've buried wastewater pipes, we've brought in over five feet of fill across the entire site to get it up and out of the floodplain. Uh, we've built roadways and bridges and sidewalks and trails, and now buildings. But, we find that pictures are better than diagrams. And so wanted to share just a, a few um, updates on the facilities that we have completed uh, and that are in service right now. Riverfront open space uh, is one of the most important. Um, in fact, it really is the centerpiece of the master plan for this portion of the campus. And if you look at that lower left picture, um, that is a picture before uh, we did any construction. And you can see a number of things going on. You can see rail lines um, right there in the foreground. You can see those two gray lines are the six foot tall above ground concrete pipes um, called the Delgany interceptor uh, that were literally preventing you from even being able to see the river, much less get to it. And a very large meat processing uh, building on site. So, a number of key things had to happen to make the riverfront open space possible at all. The first was to consolidate over 14,000 lineal feet of rail lines. We moved them all the way over to the east side of our campus. Uh, we buried the two wastewater pipes um, <clears throat> and did a lot of demolition of those existing buildings. And so for the first time in 100 years, we opened up the entire 180 acres on this side of the tracks to the river and embraced it as the centerpiece of this campus. So that was a really big and important step for us. Some of the features of the riverfront open space include amphitheaters and nature play facilities, native plant gardens, uh, the historic sheep bridge, which we've preserved, uh, which was a one-way trip for sheep from the west side of the river across to some of those meat processing facilities um, that we have kept up as a remnant of the, the, the past and the history of the site. And then uh, lots of additional new trails, walkways, benches, and other amenities um, to invite the community in and to embrace the river. The Stockyard Event Center was the first major building that we completed at about 48,000 square feet. It includes an auction arena and a show arena, 
And from the point when it was opened for Stock Show in January of 2022, within six weeks of the Stock Show being there with animals and a foot of dirt, um, they had completely emptied it out and brought in uh, the Jurassic World exhibition, which was an animatronic dinosaur experience. Um, and those two poles really represent the flexibility of this type of facility and what we're trying to do overall on the campus uh, to create these facilities that can host Stock Show and then do so much more throughout the rest of the year. Stock Yards is another good example. Um, one of the challenges of hosting the Stock Show, uh, but also having other things happen here was how do you have 20 acres of animal pens um, and then still use that space for other things throughout the rest of the year? Uh, this is a great example of, of how you do that. They're temporary. We set them up uh, in December. They're torn down by February. And then this 20 acre site with distributed water and power every 150 feet can host music festivals and RV shows and any number of other types of events. Um, what we didn't realize when we were designing this is that what also makes the perfect, uh, what makes for a perfect 750 cattle pens also is a perfect infrastructure for a music festival uh, or a taco fest or any variety of other things. Campus mobility, uh, we spent a lot of time and effort physically reconnecting this campus to the Globeville and Elyria Swansea neighborhoods. Um, that is one of the centerpieces of the master plan is to physically reconnect what was honestly an island um, out here. So we have built the first new bridge over the South Platte River in 40 years, which is the 51st Avenue Bridge in the center of the page there, known as the, uh, the People's Bridge of the Sun with art by local uh, artist David Garcia. Um, and actual handprints and face prints of community members who were engaged in the art design effort uh, early on. Uh, 2.6 miles of sidewalks, uh, all new multimodal roadways, um, new trail systems, new uh, bike trails as well. So we've spent a lot of time and effort uh, rebuilding this part of the city. And then not the sexiest thing, but underground utilities are important. This is actually another important piece of reconnecting. Um, there was not a lot of infrastructure out here. And uh, obviously it's necessary for this campus to function. Also took the opportunity in doing this to upgrade uh, utilities for these adjacent neighborhoods. Um, so we've done gas line improvements and electrical improvements that have benefited Globeville and Elyria Swansea in the process. Okay, well, we'll skip those two slides. Um, this is just a quick update of where we are currently with construction. So this is the, the Livestock Center, uh, one of our aerial shots, and it is a very big building. Um, it is one of the largest, uh, it is actually the largest city building built in decades. Um, it includes a up to 5,000 seat arena and 185,000 square foot expo hall. And we just completed, okay. <laughs> Michael, we have them. Do you? Yeah. It's I don't know why it's blank for you, but we have them. Okay. Well, then I will go to this one, which should be a picture of the topping out ceremony yep. from December 5th. Yep. So uh, this was a great event. This is one of those uh, great milestones where the last piece of structural steel is set. Uh, and it's a celebration as much for the workers um, and all the subconsultants and subcontractors uh, as it is for uh, us as the owners. We we're fortunate to have the mayor out there um, and they did lunch for 
was about 350 workers. Uh, so a great event and good milestone. Well, I'm still clicking even though there's nothing there. Um, we looked at, okay, is the next slide you have the Livestock Center site work? Yes. Okay, so there's some highlights there. Oh, this thing. You can see, I won't read all the, the statistics, but a lot of tons of steel, um, both on the arena side, which is a more of a standard um, steel construction, versus the expo side, uh, which is really more, it's called a pre-engineered metal building system. Um, all 70,000 individual pieces of steel are fabricated off-site, brought in and literally put together like a really large Lego set. So it's really an interesting juxtaposition of the two types of steel construction. Overall, the entire footprint of this building is about eight football fields. Um, so hard to get the scale uh, unless you're out there walking it. Uh, I know many or most of you have been out for tours. Um, certainly invite you back for a construction tour if you'd like to see this building uh, close up with some uh, hard hats and glasses on. Uh, this is just another view uh, in your packet anyway, back towards um, the expo hall side, which is itself about four football fields uh, of footprint on the ground. And then this should be an overhead view, just looking down at the roof structures. And then this one should be uh, our Livestock Center workforce development. Okay, thank you. Um, so we have been one of the pilot projects for uh, workforce on Livestock Center. And to date, um, we've had 84 workers from these target zip codes for a total of 143, almost 144,000 hours at an average wage of 35.53. And on the apprenticeship side, 53 apprentices uh, at 14,700 uh, hours at an average wage of 30. Um, so a lot of good data and anecdote, both anecdotal and data um, that we've been able to share back with our city partners and advise on the development of the workforce program in its second iteration. Okay, so what do we have left to complete? Out of phases one and two, there are a couple major facilities that we are still in design uh, and or getting ready to start construction on. Uh, the two primary ones being the pedestrian bridge connecting the uh, RTD commuter line to our campus and the 48th Avenue bridge, also known as the Betty Cram Drive Bridge, uh, which is the second bridge over the South Platte River that we are in coordination with Dottie, uh, who is doing some work on 48th Avenue Greenway and some other planning work on that side of the river. And so we'll be delivering that bridge for us when they get to that construction. Finally, uh, sharing some of the exciting public art that we have. Um, we have a piece going up in the riverfront open space called Rising Together by Matthew Mazzotta, which is sort of a deconstructed barn uh, that creates a pavilion in a gathering place. It'll have lighting, it'll have electricity. So the community can come out for quinceaneras and other gatherings and really activate and engage with the riverfront open space. And then on the main campus plaza, a bronze sculpture by Cliff Garten, which includes um, a bull and a cowgirl and a very interesting interrelationship between the two, also forming a small amphitheater uh, in front of the arena to create a gathering place uh, on the plaza. Finally, is this the reconnecting communities slide? Yes. Okay. So um, always looking to take advantage of other people's money. 
Um, we, along with Dottie, have submitted a, a grant proposal uh, to the federal um, government for some additional funding uh, to offset some of the assets that we're building, including the Betty Cram Drive Bridge and the 48th Avenue Greenway, um, the pedestrian bridge that I mentioned, uh, improvements at a BN crossing uh, right now on National Western Drive South, which is less than safe, and the environmental remediation of the DPS bus barn site uh, on the east side. So um, we are hoping to hear on this grant uh, within weeks uh, to see if we can leverage the dollars that we have to make them go even further. Uh, the next slide is youth engagement. So in addition to design and construction that we do as the mayor's office, um, we take the opportunity as a program to do a lot of outreach and youth engagement. And specifically in 2023, uh, we had the entire, um, the entire body of Cole Arts and Science Academy come through, it's about 250 kids, um, to get a STEM and STEAM overview of the campus. Uh, we fed them pizza, we walked them around the Spur campus, we showed them our design and construction and tried to get them excited about fields in STEM and STEAM. Um, the next slide should be the GES Toy Shop, which is just another uh, outreach effort that we did, helping build bikes uh, that go into a free toy shop for GES residents. And then finally, um, the 2024 Western Stock Show kickoff parade uh, that we participate, participate in every year. Uh, it was a great turnout this year for those of you who were able to go downtown or see it. Uh, the timing lined up really well because a lot of school districts weren't yet back in school and there were over 40,000 people out there. The weather was beautiful. It was fantastic. Um, we did something a little different this year and actually created an activity book uh, building on that youth engagement theme. And we gave over a thousand uh, activity books out. I'm happy to share those if there's um, anyone who would like to share them with anyone in your district. Uh, we think they're great. Okay, almost done. Um, the next slide is our program dashboard. Uh, this should also be an attachment that you have um, in a packet. Uh, this is something we do quarterly. Um, I won't spend a lot of time here. There's a lot of detail um, overall of that 795 million. We are at, I believe, 72.8% uh, committed and completed. So we are on the downward slope of finishing out phases one and two, at which point we as NUCO, uh, we go away. Our job is to build ourselves out of a job. Um, we were, we were uh, designed to do uh, this one thing and the end is in sight. Um, so we are uh, eagerly looking forward to completing our mission. And then finally, the 2024 look ahead. There will be uh, several anticipated city council actions coming through that we wanna make you aware of. Uh, one is an amendment to our horizontal design contract. Uh, this will extend it by a year, uh, no additional dollars, just a time extension to allow us to complete our design of the pedestrian bridge and the Betty Graham Drive Bridge um, in aligning with the kind of the build out or a completion of our program that I mentioned before. There will also be agreements and actions related to the pedestrian bridge later this year, as well as the plat, uh, which we are trying to complete as well. We continue design estimating and construction phasing for the pedestrian bridge, Betty Cram Drive Bridge. Um, we are doing procurement support uh, for the equestrian hotel and parking garage that the authority is leading, and uh, as always, ongoing campus coordination with the stock show, uh, which we just completed. The stock, Western Stock Show Association is also beginning construction of their legacy building, which is their headquarters, um, this week, actually. 
And so that will bring even more contractors and subcontractors to the site. So it's gonna get very busy. Um, and so part of what we do as NUCO is to make sure all that construction is coordinated so that the campus can still function and events can still go on. And then finally, as I mentioned, the triangle, uh, we are engaged in uh, discussions around future phases and some strategic thinking about how that will develop. With that, I will turn it over to Brad. Thank you. And let's take a quick break and see if our okay. tech support can help get that um, PowerPoint loaded back up again. Thank you for that info, Mike. Ready to, we're ready to move on. Thank you so much. Great. Thank you. Everybody. And we'll queue up council members. Um, Brad, you've got a series of uh, slides here, um, but questions after for yeah. both sections. Okay. Thank you. Great. Thank you. Hi, I'm Brad Buchanan. I am the CEO at the National Western Center Authority. And um, And as Mike covered, uh, we are in charge of programming, operating, and maintaining the campus. Uh, we're closely, obviously, with our partners, the Mayor's Office of the National Western Center, uh, the City and County of Denver, Western Stock Show Association, and Colorado State University. As I thought about uh, putting together this presentation, we've talked to you a lot over the years, really, uh, and, and over the last year about what we're doing and and Mike covered a lot in terms of particularly the vertical assets but I think what's really important is how we do it what is the goal for how we produce what we produce and and we are there's every decision we make is through the lens and the filter of how do we benefit community how does this project this the rising tide of this project authentically relevantly impact positively community and, and we're not the experts of that. 
we work closely with community to have them advise us on what works. We don't have it all figured out. I'm not gonna stand here and tell you we have it all figured out, nor are we perfect, but we're, we're getting better. And, um, and we've tried to adjust our systems and approaches to be better. And it's one thing to stand up here and talk to you about what we're, the way we do things, but we, we, we've been tracking a lot of data. Like, are we doing it? Are we doing what we said we were going to do? Are we in fact making a difference? And so today my presentation is, is about that. It is about data and impact for 23 and a look ahead to 2024. We make a difference in, in these uh, six ways, creating jobs and procuring services. That makes sense, right? We, we hire a lot of things. We create a lot of opportunity. We advocate for our community partners. They, they share with what us what's important to them and how can we creatively help them and look at ways to help them. Um, how do we partner for the benefit of community? How do we convene community um, and, and create opportunities in that participation? How do we provide direct technical and financial support? Simple uh, things that are needed for community to move ahead in efforts that are important to community and to the neighborhoods. And how do we innovate for the health and sustainability of the, of the community? 80216 is the most polluted zip code in the United States, um, air, soil, and water. And so uh, a lot of what is at, the, at stake at the campus is improving environmental justice. So in 2023, here's around the first bullet around jobs. Here's the punchline. We, in 2023, we created more than 400, 450 jobs with, with hourly rates between $17 and $60. And they were spread all the way across that spectrum pretty evenly. So there, there was significant impact. Um, the types of jobs, information technology, consulting, stormwater infrastructure, security, landscaping, marketing, and design, all across the board. And those dollars are part of our campus-wide services. And, and I'm, I'm proud of the statistic. 69% of all the dollars we spent in, in campus-wide services in 2023 went to local small minority and women-owned business enterprises within the 80216 zip code. Now, I don't know that we'll be able to do that every year when that number's $10 million, but with a million dollars, we were able to produce a significant impact. And I credit the community, I credit partners like Center for Community Wealth Building in helping to educate us to format our procurements in ways that work for small businesses a typical sort of large scale um, institutional procurement does not work for our community partners, but um, this year uh, it did. We also advocate for community interests and their community needs. As Mike said, we are uh, working, partnering with NUCO to support their efforts with Dottie around the Federal Reconnecting Communities Grant. We work closely and monitor the Washington area program of projects, neighborhoods. Neighbors are particularly interested in sidewalks, so we help to advocate and inform around that. We obviously work with the mayor's office and host around solutions to address homelessness in the community. And we're working with the police uh, on addressing ongoing safety concerns in the, in the community. So we also partner with the, with the community and we partner with community organizations around uh, Global Area and Swansea. We worked with more than 30 community partners in 2023, participated in 38 events, directly engaged more than 1,500 community uh, members uh, in 23, supported a number of community events and happenings. We table, we support, we sponsor, 
we attend, we provide space, we provide subsidized, uh, reduced costs for space, and I'll talk a little bit about that in the further slide. And these, this is the list of partners, and I'm sure I missed some, but uh, these are all the, uh, uh, most of the significant uh, nonprofits and organizations working in um, North Denver. We also put on a lot of events. Uh, we had a riverfront opening that was very successful, music and entertainment, and all sorts of breakout events. We did a, a, a trunk or treat on the campus, which, which was much more successful than we thought. We ran out of candy twice. We had over a thousand kids, a thousand kids plus their parents showed up at the Stockyard Event Center. It was, it was very well attended. An Earth Day celebration. We're also doing quarterly events on the campus because a lot of folks just don't know about the campus yet. We're, we're still a construction site in a lot, a lot of parts of the campus. So, but we are open for business and we're trying to leverage every asset we have available to us. And then also a, a number of concerts on the campus. Um, most recently was Stockton, and this was really ideas that came from community who wanted to participate in more ways, um, more substantially around Stockton. We sponsored a stock show parade float for community, and I'll show a couple of pictures of students from Garden Place and Swansea Elementary that uh, were in the stock show parade. We got sponsors to help us uh, buy 250 stock show tickets. 250 uh, residents went to, to rodeos and, and equine events. We had a community day at the stock show and a community reception and another 50 folks went to the rodeo. So we took a very different approach and tact this year with stock show to really engage with community so that they, they feel comfortable um, participating in the stock show. Here's a picture of the parade and the kiddos from uh, on the float. It was interesting, they selected these students because they were oversubscribed. They selected this from a pool of students who had perfect attendance between September and the end of December. So that was fantastic. Some more pictures from our GES trunk or treat. Yes, that is Anthony Aragon in his space, spaceman <laughs> outfit. Mr. Paul Andrews in his sheriff outfit. All he had to do was put that badge on and give right. him a little grief about that because that's how he dresses every day. Um, and then some other events here was uh, the Girl Scouts did a uh, fundraiser, uh, their annual fundraiser there. We had over 800 folks sitting at 10 top white linen tablecloth tables for the Girl Scout event. Uh, we had several Mexican rodeos and concerts on the campus this last summer. Here's a big concert on the stockyard. So this is the area where the cattle pens are for 16 days in January and a concert facility the rest of the year. Uh, this is um, this is 1,200 DPS superintendent or uh, principals who gathered twice this year at the Stockyards Event Center. One at the beginning of summer, one right before the uh, 23 school year started. And then we have a number of concerts, events, and uh, music events that happen in both the auditorium and the arena, the, the auction hall, seat 640 in a bowl configuration, as well as the Stockyards Event Center Arena, that 20,000 square foot space. And this was a local eats program that uh, Center for Community Wealth Building partnered with us on. And um, they put this on, I think this is the second year they've done this. This is to invite anchor institutions, large anchor institutions to come and meet the local uh, caterers and food producers so that they can then hire them for their events. And we of course do as well. 
We also uh, chase money for um, community sponsorship of events. In 2023, raised um, uh, over $60,000 in support of 30 events. The Community Investment Fund, which we've talked a little bit about before, and um, it, the Community Investment Fund is a, is a unique vehicle. And with us today is Alfonso Espino. Uh, he is one of the Community Investment Fund committee members. So if you have specific questions rather than me speaking for the CIF, uh, Alfonso is available to answer questions. I asked him if that was okay to say that. He said yes. And um, uh, the I think the, the beauty of the Community Investment Fund is we don't do it. We, we create revenue streams to help fund it, but it is community created and governed and operated. So the, the, not the city, not the National Western Center Authority, uh, no one has their hand on that wheel. Community guides and sets up the systems. And there um, in 2023, we were able to bring um, just over $480,000, 400,000 of that to be to be uh, accurate, came from a technical assistance grant that this body approved the previous year. Um, and they are using those technical assistance dollars to hire a program manager, a documentarian, that that's what's paying, paying for those services to set up the governance programs for that. And then uh, they are in early in this year, their goal to take uh, the additional almost $80,000 plus the $79,000 that we've raised this year from Stock Show, the roundup from Stock Show 24, uh, uh, that group will be able to start taking applications and making grant awards uh, later this year. And again, happy to uh, toss anything over to Alfonso um, that would be helpful. I wanna talk about how we have handled community engagement uh, on our procurements. And this has been true of the smallest procurement to the largest procurement we do. For example, on the equestrian center and hotel procurement, this is substantial scope of work to design and build the equestrian center, design and build a hotel, design and build a garage, operate a hotel, provide uh, some event activation services, substantial RFP. We had Two, we had a number of meetings with the Citizens Advisory Committee, but also a bunch of city um, neighborhood-wide meetings, asking folks for their ideas around what should be in the RFP. And they, they literally helped to craft the content in. And all of their ideas, 270 ideas, they include were included in the RFP for the submitter's consideration. And it doesn't end there. They are part of the, there are two voting members on the selection committee. Once that group is selected, as things get developed uh, further along, they will continue to be involved. We really wanted to look at this um, as a true partnership with community. And it's important because community isn't gonna stay in a hotel. They live right down the block. So, but how can we do a hotel, for example? How can we do an equestrian center? What's the programming that can happen in an equestrian center and a hotel that supports and benefits community? How do we procure it in a way that benefits community? How, does, how do these assets create benefits and revenue streams for the community investment fund? All of these things, as I said, the filter through which we look at every process and decision on the campus. Just a few bullets on what we did for those two 
uh, big um, neighborhood-wide meetings. We mailed uh, 14,000 mailers to GES, flyers all over the, the neighborhood. We have a, National Western Center has a texting service people can sign up for. We've tabled at tens of events. Um, and we did an online and an electronic survey as well and got over 150 responses for that. 2024, this year coming up, uh, procurements, uh, three, the most three substantial procurements. Uh, we are doing our concessions procurement now. It has, it is closed. We shortlisted to two. We selected one group to move into an exclusive negotiation phase. That's where we are now. Um, we, I mentioned the equestrian center, the hotel and the parking uh, garage. We are in the midst of that. That is out on the street. It has been shortlisted to two teams. Those two teams uh, have to submit their next submittal on February 20th. We'll be reviewing those in, in March. Um, Cup North, creatively named Cup North because it is just north of the central, central utility plant, is a, right now a parking lot that we want to build a parking structure on. So that will go out here in the next month. We have a number of, of smaller uh, procurements as well, janitorial security. Events ticketing will not be small. That is a big that is a big deal, and we'll go out to the marketplace for that. Some events operations assistance, and then a distributed antenna system that is that allows us to have cellular and Wi-Fi distribution uh, distributed throughout the campus, both outside buildings and in the buildings. Really important if you're at a concert that you can take a selfie and text it to a friend. And we've had times when you can't, and that's not okay. Uh, we're also working to make this National Western Center the most sustainable campus in the United States. Uh, we do that obviously through making our maximizing efficiency in our buildings. Uh, Mike mentioned our district uh, energy system, and I'll talk a little bit about that in a few minutes. Uh, renewable energy, using renewable energy to power the buildings and provide the electricity that runs the district energy system, for example. And then community resiliency. We have a battery backup system, for example, that will allow the campus to be an emergency refuge. They, if the lights go out everywhere else, the National Western Center will still be lit up uh, for about 72 hours between what we can provide in the battery backup system and then what the solar panels can provide in backup charging of the system. So it's an important uh, critical uh, resource for a community in case of an emergency. I mentioned the district energy system. Here's the punchline. We're heating and cooling over a million square feet of new vertical assets with the waste thermal energy from two sewer lines. Um, and we, it's, through a, it's, it's actually simple science. There's a heat exchange system that pulls thermal energy out Clean water interfaces with that at that heat exchanger and clean water moves around an ambient loop and there are simple heat pumps in these buildings um, and it's working. The Stockyards Event Center, the Livestock Center will be on it, the Equestrian Center is on all three CSU Spur buildings, the National Western Stock Show Legacy Headquarters is on it. Um, it's working. And just a couple of stats that we've collected on this. The district energy system will save the carbon equivalent of 6.6 .6 million passenger vehicle miles a year. It is, it is substantial, the savings. It will also save five, the, the water equivalent to five Olympic pools. We also have a community solar garden that's uh, actually through the city's doing, Castor's doing throughout the city. We were actually the first host site. We're now on two of our buildings uh, in 2023 as it ramped up. We saved um, about 100 uh, megawatt hours in 2024. That number is about 50% more than that. The uh, 
the, the, that goes back into the grid, but then there's also a, uh, a low cost energy program for low income residents that goes back, the benefits go back to the residents um, with lower cost uh, electrical service. We've just contracted uh, with Glowville based uh, Compost Colorado all for all of our waste on the campus. CSU has been working with them. We're gonna combine those contracts, I hope, and uh, be able to compost on site with a local composting company. They'll actually produce, put their operations on the National Western Center campus. And in terms of what's coming up, our events forecast, and again, Mike mentioned it, but we're working right now with the Stockyards Event Center in the Stockyards. We're very, very excited about the Livestock Center coming on board in, in late 25 and, and really ramping up in 2026. That's when our most substantial events will happen. That will really help in terms of revenue stream, both in terms of creating our own, uh, in our pursuit of financial uh, independence, and as well as creating um, even more substantial revenue streams for the Community Investment Fund. But in 24, we, we right now either have inked or are on the one inch line on about 80 events, totaling about $1.8 million in rev events revenue. Um, we have uh, more than 50 events on the books, community events on the book this year. I mentioned those procurements that are coming up. We'll obviously continue our work with the Citizens Advisory Committee. We meet with them regularly and, and our constant pursuit of increasing the bottom line to the community investment fund as, as that group ramps up and I'm sure we'll have more needs than we have resources. So it's it's on us to increase increase that, that revenue stream. Madam President, that is our, my presentation. We are happy to answer any questions that you or your colleagues have. Thank you so much, Brad. And thank you, Mike, um, both for your sections of presentation. Um, I don't have anyone in queue yet. Um, so join in queue you want to get in for questions um i'm going to get my document back up um mike i did have a question just about um this looks like it's slide 17 and it is the campus mobility side yes um is there um work that's going to be done on the other bridge that crosses the south platte Yes. Yeah. So we have funds for that. Originally, we designed uh, the 51st Avenue Bridge and the 48th Avenue Bridge, which is the second one. Um, they were identical. They were the same bridge. We were going to build them both at the same time. Dottie had a lot of uh, longer-term planning efforts on the west side of the river and actually, in that process, ended up realigning 48th. Uh, so what we did is said, okay, well, we'll just take those dollars that we were going to spend we will give them to Dottie and let Dottie deliver that bridge um, since it aligns with their timeline. Because we weren't sure if we if, if they were going to be done by the time our program is essentially gone away. Okay. So yes, it's in the works. Um, we're actually waiting to hear about this federal grant to determine our next steps, but it's actively in design right now. Great, thank you. And I've been most like involved in the South Platte flood mitigation in my part of the mm -hmm. Platte River Valley, but is is there work that's going to be done along your corridor, Platt? Yes, I believe it's the entire stretch it of is. the river. Um, I honestly don't know many more details yeah. than that right now. Okay. Um, we actually, the, our riverfront open space stops at the 10-year flood level, and so there's actually a wetland, existing wetland bench that we left intact, knowing that this other process was coming through. Very good. Yeah. Okay. Thank you for that. Um, 
Brad, I'm always, I, I'll always ask about the um, roll-up fund and if there's been any conversation about modifying that so that it's maybe a more stable and more consistent. I don't, like I think 79,000 is great to the fund. I think it probably can be getting more. Um, and so has there been any additional communication so about I, that? I think that there are two procurements that are gonna be key to really progressing that conversation. There's, there's always conversation, lots of folks have ideas, the concessions contract, and as that gets into negotiations, that is a, is a significant topic in that negotiation, I will tell you, as, as with the ticketing as well, um, and, and what the opportunities are there for the community investment fund. I think those are the two targets coming up that have most of our attention. And would those be built in on the the contract side with the vendor, or is it something that um, the city or National Western would consider as those infrastructures kind of develop? I, I don't know that yet. I think that we, I think that we will have more control over the concessions piece than potentially the ticketing piece. Um, that doesn't mean we're not pursuing it on both. Yeah. Okay. Thank you for that. Um, I've got a few council members in queue now. Councilwoman Parity. Yeah, thank you so much, folks. It's always really good to hear these updates. Um, and my kid was one of the kids that got to go to the stock show from Garden Place, so I was looking for her little red cowboy hat. She had a great time. Um, I wanted to go back to slide 26. So, sorry, let me find it. Here we go. Um, so you guys are talking about the revenue forecasts uh, for this year with about 80 events. Um, and I see on the slide 1.8 million in revenue. Do we have a sense of how much that will likely bring in associated sales tax to the city from people coming to those events? Is that the projection that? The event revenue? Well, yeah, so, so aside from the direct event revenue, um, is there a projection of how much um, that likely means in terms of um, sales tax, lodging tax, and those I, kind of I things? I don't have that, but I can, I can do some digging and get back to you with that, but I don't have that one off the top of my head. I would love to see that because I know we've talked about this before, and I think in the planning stages, um, th there was a sense that, you know, it, lots of sales tax revenue, but hard to project. And so now that we have, we know 80 events, we know what those are, we know how many people are traveling in for them, I presume, I would love to get a better sense of what those tax revenue projections to the city look like. Um, and then I have questions about um, hearing about the community investment fund and following up a little bit on what Council President Torres was asking. Um, is there the Community Advisory Council, or I think I just got the acronym wrong, is there a thought that that group is working on something more like a community benefits agreement or something that would be um, like a written contract longer term? What, in other words, what's kind of in progress within that group? What are you all working on? So there's this, the Citizens Advisory Committee, the CAC, um, is, is informed and may consult on community investment fund things. Most of it, most of that conversation happens directly with the community investment fund committee. Um, and the, but in terms of a community benefits agreement, there is not one in the works today. I think folks have assumed that those conversations are gonna happen as part and parcel to the triangle development. Okay, yeah, and that, that's really the question that I have is I, kind of trying to understand the timeline for decision-making about the triangle um, and, and I mean, what is the plan for that community conversation to be had? So our focus today is completing phases one and two. It's all of phases one and two is either in 
construction or completed except for the equestrian center that's why we're focused on that and this procurement the great thing about that is that opens the door for the triangle conversation i think mike mentioned there they're beginning to, to want to think about that i think that's great news and um and that's going to be a, a big dis, big conversation right i mean that's a big project a lot of needs and a lot of things that want want need to be accomplished on in the triangle area but no conversation going on right now uh, with community with us in, on the triangle project okay and just to say it back it's it's because that's you're, you're viewing that as coming after the equestrian centers like sort of after these phases are completed i'm just curious why why not start that conversation because it is going to be a big one um is it just about capacity and kind of waiting till it's time or are there decisions that sort of can't be made till we get through the equestrian center? Like what's the nature of, why can't we start that conversation now? Um, I can share with you what direction uh, we received from the new mayoral administration. Um, obviously they've been focused on House 1000 um, and getting that uh, stood up and functioning. Um, and they have let us know that one of their next tasks will be to focus on future phases, phases at National Western and what uh, their thoughts and priorities are going to be coming into that. So I think part of it is allowing the equestrian procurement to get to a point where we know if there's a path forward there because the triangle is dependent largely on the equestrian being delivered. Um, I think also with new administration with some new thinking about how they want to approach it. Um, and we are waiting for them to be at a point where they can engage in a conversation this year. Okay, that makes sense. Thank you all so much. Sure. Thanks, Madam President. Thank you, Councilwoman Romero Campbell. Thank you. Um, and thank you for the presentation. I always find it so informative to go through, even though I've heard bits and pieces all the way through, it's always nice to have that overview. So thank you um, for the update. Um, I actually have two questions and one to um, dovetail on um, my colleague's question about the 80 events, $1.8 million in revenue. Um, can you? speak to a little bit for the national western stock show they you know we've we've been told you know high revenue comes in and so forth do you know if those numbers are in and is that part of the 1.8 million it, this is com completely outside of stock mm -hmm. show and i should have had that in here so thank you for asking that question um stock show had uh, 571,000 uh, attendees this year and probably or no 600 671,000 because they would have been over 700,000 had we not had the middle weekend of sub-zero temperatures that yeah. kept folks away, I think, to some extent. Um, I know that, and I'll steal Paul Andrews, who's the president and CEO of the stock show, uh, a little of his thunder. They, they just updated their economic uh, impact report here recently, and uh, the punchline was that the stock show produces about $170 million of, of, of economic impact to Denver and the region. And uh, I know they're updating that for Stock Show 2024 as well. I don't know where they're at in that process at the, at the moment. Thank you. Um, and I wanted to follow up a little bit on the community investment um, fund as well. And I apologize, I don't remember you were introduced, but if maybe you'd like to take a moment and tell us a little bit about the impact for you for the community investment fund. Alfonso, Alfonso, Alfonso Espino. Thank you, Alfonso. 
Yes, uh, good afternoon, Council. My name is Alfonso Spino. Today I'm uh, representing the Community Investment Fund, the GES Community Investment Fund. I am the project director uh, this year, and so I available for questions during this committee session. Um, Mr. Romero, uh, Councilwoman Romero Campbell, um, if you're just looking like for some, are you just looking for like some broad thoughts about where the Community Investment Fund kind of sees itself or I just want to understand your question a little bit better. Yes, please. Okay. So yes, just a kind of a general overview um, of, I know we have our slide for the, of what the Community Investment Fund does, but maybe just additional detail as yeah. far as. So the Community Investment Fund, I think that the context to it is very important. Um, it comes from the era of ma uh, former mayor Michael Hancock's administration. Mm -hmm. There's a series of memos that were commitments to uh, community benefits and improvements. And the CIF was, from my understanding, essentially inscribed into the National Western Center Framework Agreement, which is the binding legal contract that brought together the three partners on campus, it produced the authority office, and also there was an indication and a directive within the framework agreement for basically a community investment fund, the bare minimum of which would be funding through, uh, as Councilwoman Torres pointed out, the roundup dollars, mm -hmm. which is at the concession stands for the most part, uh, people are asked if you know they wanna uh, chip in to help the community investment fund. And so I think that that context is important that it's supposed to be the bare minimum is you know kind of the floor maybe is a better word the floor is uh the roundup dollars um the way that we see ourselves in the community investment fund right now there's four serving committee members it dwindled down from an initial 16 we were selected through a process uh an open application done by former council members uh councilwoman at large debbie ortega and former district nine councilwoman candy c Zabaca, uh, who convened an application process and between the two uh recommended the committee members. And so it was initially, it was a lot more of us kind of through time and uh, commitment availabilities. It's uh, come down to four of us. I have three of my colleagues uh, that are consistently working on this. Um, from our perspective, in the bigger picture, we'd like to produce and be able to negotiate further revenue streams into the community investment fund. From my understanding, the biggest contributor uh, who takes action, especially during the stock show, is the Stock Show Association. Mm -hmm. So we would like to broaden that to include the other two partners. And I know that that's kind of complicated also because of the nature of the city's uh, relationship to the partners. And so CSU and I think uh, the city can play a bigger part in producing and uh, finding some revenue streams into the community investment fund. Uh, also, just broadly speaking, the community investment fund is supposed to be set up to um, basically grant out money into community projects, um, community improvement, and that can mean a variety of things. Um, I will, I could share very quickly if it's helpful, some of the criteria that the Community Investment Fund Committee has determined to be in, uh, important, and I can forward this report, which was given to the authority uh, not too long ago, I think a week ago, we turned this report in. Uh, but some of the proposals, uh, or sorry, uh, some of the some of those key points about how we would you know kind of think about granting out the money would be uh, housing support. These examples can include funding for you know wheelchair ramps, interior accessibility, home modifications, individual home repairs, upkeep, um, health, um, economic opportunity, art, youth and elder engagement, community voice and environment. 
Um, I can go into more detail into either of those any of those categories if you're interested. Uh, so for us, a lot of the work uh, kind of had to pivot to define a lot of this when the city council granted $400,000 in technical assistance money. Um, because at the time we were kind of just still trying to figure out what are the, you know, what's the CIF going to be because it's supposed to be community led. Um, what's the process going to be for uh, more members to be able to join from the community. Um, and some of those conversations had to be put on hold for us to pivot initially after the 400,000 was granted out to finding a fiscal sponsorship. And so that was secured last year through a CNDC. That's our fiscal sponsor. And so, and then we were able to pivot towards hiring a CIF manager. The CIF manager is helping us carry the work that we can't because we are a volunteer committee. Um, so that's really helped us uh, speed up the process of the things that we're doing. Um, so those are, those are kind of broad. We want to be able to fund a variety of different things. I think that the thing that has been always clear as far as like what the CIF would not be funding is uh, providing a gap funding for things that the city should be funding. So for example, the famous example of this is sidewalks. The CIF should not be funding sidewalks that the city should be taking care of. That's just like a very easy example for people to be able to understand. Um, but yeah, so there's a, there's a lot that goes into it and I'd be happy to answer any other questions that you have. I appreciate that. Thank you for the detail. Um, very much so. I see other people in the queue. I will go back in the queue because I had one other. Okay. More thank questions, you. but thank you very much. Councilman Gonzalez Gutierrez. Thank you, um, Madam President, and, and thank you, Alfonso. I was actually going to ask a lot of those same questions, so that's great. Um, I, I am curious, and I don't know if this, who would answer this question, and just, I was just out there last week, um, and so I know I asked some questions then, um, but just now that we have kind of the broader folks here, um, I just want to, I wanted to ask again, how many community members are part of the, the board from the GES community? We have a 13 person board and we have two voting community members on the board of directors. Okay, and you said they're voting members. They're both voting members. Great. This Thank body you. voted to make that framework agreement change about a year ago. Okay. So Thank it went you. from one to two. Thank you. Um, and I guess a question for maybe Alfonso, if you feel like having two people on the board is, is enough to like, to make sure that you feel like you're able to rep fully represent the community's desires, positions? Um, I think if you're asking me uh, in the capacity of serving as a member of the CIF, um, it's hard to say. Um, our interaction with the current two board members has been pretty limited um, and usually hasn't even been within the scope of, you know, for example, me serving on the CIF and having a conversation board members related to that. Um, I'm also not really privy to a lot of the, the recent voting decisions that the board has been making. So for me personally, it would be hard to gauge um, from the perspective of the CIF. Um, I think just generally speaking, um, we would like to have a more direct connection to our two voting board members uh, so that uh, we could have a better idea of if that's enough, if that uh, makes a tangible difference. Um, and the same would go for, you know, the rest of the board members on the uh, current board. So I, I would just say, you know, just in summary, it's really hard to say um, because it's really hard to gauge. Um, it's, 
as far as their impact goes so far in terms of real decisions. I know that there's going to be, uh, and we're hopeful as community investment fund folks uh, that, you know, these future procurement processes that were described earlier, uh, you know, that, that that's somewhere where uh, our neighbors that are serving on this board as representatives can make a tangible difference. Um, but again, I, I'm not really privy to those conversations, but I would look forward to having more of that to, to myself have a better understanding of the impact of two voting members. Thank you so much. Um, and thank you. I mean, I'm glad that, that there is this structure set up and I'm glad that there is community participation having been involved in other kinds of like, boards or, or things like that. Sometimes having community par participation can be somewhat a little bit of a little bit of tokenizing and so just want to make sure like if that voice is fully represented there having two votes um of a 13 member just something just something to ponder and think about um just why i wanted to raise it um because sometimes it could be lonely when you're the only two right and you have it maybe perhaps a different interest than the other people around the table um i do really appreciate the the tour the other day it's beautiful um i love the artwork and the art installations that have gone in that I think have do have some representation of of the community there, um, and that is definitely appreciated. And a lot of the programming there that it sounds like is available to the community. Um, I just want to lift up one thing that I know I asked during my tour, and I think I caught folks off guard maybe a little bit, and they're like, "Wait, why are you even thinking about this?" Um, and and this was just something I wanted to bring here to make sure that we um, continue to ping it. Uh, I did ask a question about. Um, what kind of uh, partnership is being done with groups like the Denver Anti-Trafficking Alliance or others um, around human trafficking when there are large sporting events, large events? I mean, you talked about how many people attended um, the um, stock show and, and uh, what that then opens the door for when it comes to um, sex trafficking. And so just wanted to ping that again. And, and I did get some information that I'm happy to forward on to you all, um, but just wanted to, to bring that up. And, and thank you for being willing to um, open that door and uh, even further beyond, I think, what you all do now. So thank you. That's all, Madam President. Thank you. Uh, Councilman Watson. Uh, thank you, Madam President. Um, <clears throat> Councilmember Romero Campbell stole my thunder because I was going to ask Alfonso Esp Espino to, to step up and speak a little bit about uh, CIF. And Brad, you're absolutely correct. He should be the one doing a presentation on all that information. Thank you so much, Alfonso, for providing great detail. So I just have two quick comments. First, on the Citizen Advisory Committee, maybe I, I do have a question. So um, whomever from um, National can speak to that. Can you share the, the makeup of the CAC group and kind of how frequently they meet? And um, maybe just a very quick high level of what their role is. So the, the Citizens Advisory Committee has actually been going through an interesting evolution over the last eight or nine months. It was created eight, eight years ago, probably. And really it was, it was the, the content of all the meetings was about design, right? Master planning, design, building design, site planning, those kinds of things. And, and, and the percentage of that content over time as the buildings have been completed or designed has reduced and it's been more about things like the, the um, community investment fund and, and opportunities and procurements and, and, and really and procuring uh, uh, programming uh, guidance in terms of partnering with CSU and partnering with our events. That has 
um, shifted and, and, and the, the residents said that they wanted to look at redefining roles and responsibilities for the community, the citizens advisory committee. I, we're close to finishing that up. I would think that in this month's meeting, we meet the third Wednesday, fourth Wednesday of every month um, at 5.30 at our offices. And um, I, I, I think we'll probably wrap that up this month. It, and, there, and one of the pieces, long way around the barn to get to your very direct answer question, is, is how do new members come in? How do we broaden that group? There's still a core group that's been there for eight years and comes faithfully to every meeting, but there are new members showing up now as well who are interested in different components of the National Western Center or for different reasons. And so they're looking at and what is what is membership? What are the duties of a member? We're looking at things like stipends for our uh, community members for attending um, that. We have stipends for our community board members out of board of directors. And we're looking at that for the Citizens Advisory Committee as well. Um, but uh, I, the, the punchline I think is that it's, it's very open and it has always been that if you attended, I think it's three meetings that consecutively that you could become a member of the of the group and I'm going to get that wrong and somebody's going to correct me but uh, but it's been very open for people to join who are committed and interested and stay committed and interested the National Western Center is a complex uh, place and the, the lots of different stakeholders so it's important that there is some continuity uh, and there's some institutional knowledge but we also want to make it available for anyone who's interested to come and participate and how many community members are part of the CAC? I think there were 30 some members uh, at, at one point. We get anywhere from eight or 10 showing up to 20 showing up to a typical meeting. Perfect, and I've attended several of those and I think that's a, a great space for, as you're looking for possible additional support for the um, the actual board um, from community input, as well as um, deeper engagement with the CIF um, and discussing what the community benefit and needs are. Uh, I know your team most likely have already thought of that. I, I think that's, that's an important piece. I just quickly, two quick comments. Uh, extremely impressed with uh, the uh, outreach that you and National Western is doing and ha have done. I think this presentation provides very clear, intentional um, view of kind of the work that your team is doing to ensure that you are responsive to Globeville Lira-Swansea, whether it's through hiring, whether it's through um, uh, energy justice, to making sure environmental justice practices, to making sure that your footprint, which could be massive um, within the city, that you're reducing that footprint. Um, looking forward to partnering with you and your team a little bit more on many of those issues. And as Councilwoman Parity has shared, looking forward to the future discussions on the triangle. So thank you so much for the presentation. Thank you. Thank you both. Uh, Councilwoman Roman Campbell, did you need to get back in queue? Are you good? Okay, all right. All right, that's all of our questions today. I wanna thank National Western Authority, Office of National Western for being with us. Thank you all so much and thanks for your great questions. Um, that's it for today's budget and policy. Appreciate you, see you next time.